Wow. Thank you so much for listening to this very special preview of our brand new Patreon exclusive show, Super NPCs. My name is Jeremy Schmidt, one of the hosts of the show, along with Connor McCabe. We've worked really hard on this episode, and we wanted to give listeners just a little taste, a little peek into what we have going on over there on the Patreon. Well, I didn't really want to cut down just a little peek, a a little taste of the episode. I got lazy. So instead, I released the entire first episode. So enjoy episode one on Super Mario Bros. free of charge. And if you like this episode and you want to see what else is going on over there on the Patreon, you can always visit patreon.com slash supernpcradio. Donating at the $5 tier will get you Super NPCs in perpetuity, a weekly show hosted by myself and Connor McCabe. Yeah, and with that, you know, enjoy. You wake up in darkness. The room is scorching hot. You're bound and gagged. All you can hear is the deep laughter of a maniacal beast. You sense a change, a distant patter of footsteps, running, jumping, then nothing at all. The blindfold is ripped from your head as the searing pain of light floods your retinas, a sensation you haven't felt for days. You can, after a moment, make out the silhouette of a stranger. Who are you, stranger? You ask, not knowing. If friend or foe, the stranger replies, it's a me, Mario. Welcome to Super NPCs, the Super NPC show with your hosts, Jeremy Schmidt and the lovable, the charming Connor McCabe. <laughs> I didn't realize. Uh, see, it it's almost feels like a trap because yeah. when you say two nice, th- two nice things about a person we haven't met yet, it feels mm-hmm. it feels weird to be like, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, exactly. For you to <laughs> announce your name. I probably am setting you up wrong. I'm probably set it like in a confusing way. I should I should either just say your name or be like, and who do I got with me here? <laughs> <laughs> it's like true. that kind of a thing. I, yes. I think either of those would be good as mm-hmm. opposed to setting me up to become the bad guy immediately. Yeah. So, hey. The villain of the show <laughs> hey. is is he who accepts and acknowledges all of the praise that he is yes. d- that is dumped upon him. It's kind of like when you ask people right now during covid like hey how are you doing if someone responds totally i'm doing great then that's then they're yeah. canceled <laughs> A- ask me how i'm doing during covid how are you doing during covid jeremy thriving jeremy we can't do the show anymore. <laughs> uh so i, I mean, if people are listening to this show then they're more than likely know who we are because they're paying for this show this yeah. is a Patreon exclusive show on patreon.com slash super NPCs. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your patronage, but I, I, it wouldn't hurt to probably tell the listener just a little bit about ourselves, you know, who we are as people and, and what qualifies us to talk about video games at all. I think that would be great. So why don't we have the, the good person of the podcast start? 
Okay, I'll I will start. I'm the hero of the I'm the hero of the podcast, <laughs> Jeremy Schmidt. I am a writer, Los Angeles-based writer and comedian. I have been doing a show called Video Games a Comedy Show on the internet now for a hundred episodes. You know, I, I'm a I'm a game collector, a game enthusiast. I think it's like a probably my biggest hobby in my life. I, I carry the torch for a lot of uh crappy nonsense games that no one no one remembers or would care to remember. And I think that this show, Super NPCs, to me, is going to be like a nice change of pace from the uh, the main show that I do, which is primarily a comedy show, a riff show where we basically use themes as an improv suggestion for hilarious conversations about video games that sometimes gets into some serious territories. But this show, I, I feel like is going to I'm going to be able to exercise a lot more of my uh, really com- really coming at games from like an analytical uh, or a critical lens as opposed to um, just goof em ups and jokes. But we're getting um, on this show. We're getting Jeremy the scholar, not Jeremy the goof. Right. You're getting Jeremy. I'm. I've chosen scholar class in my character yes, creator. Yes. Yeah, as, hey. as opposed to goof class. Yes. I have chosen. I'll just be upfront, Jeremy. I'm still goof class. <laughs> You're still goof class. That's still not good for class. a raid. You want to have. I mean, you do want to have one goof on the team. But yes. Yeah. Um. So Connor, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, uh, quite like Jeremy, if you're listening to this show, you're probably familiar with me because you're you're paying for this show because it's a Patreon exclusive. You also are probably just one of the people who does our shows with us. (laughs) Yeah, that Um, could be true. um, But if you're not, uh, my name is Connor. As Jeremy said, I am a Los Angeles based uh, comedian back when we could perform on stages. That was something I did both independently and then at the UCB theater before it shut down. Um, I you know, kind of, you know, I've always been a fan of video games, always loved video games my whole life, gone through ups and downs, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of have no one else to blame, but you, Jeremy, mm, for, mm-hmm. for myself developing what I would call a problem. Yeah. A problem, um, an obsession, uh, something that makes your friends and family say goodbye <laughs> to yes. you. <laughs> you know, uh, cause when you tell people you're, what, when people ask what you've been up to and you're like, yeah, I'm doing a video game content. They're like, Hey, good luck. We'll see you later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they might go, they lo- might go, how old are you? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I'll say almost 30. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I love video games. I also, I started coming on Jeremy's show, uh, like a year and a half ago, almost it'll mm-hmm. be two years in October. I've got the exact date marked down, but I love video games too. Started my own video game podcast, which you probably know about. Call Me By Your Game, which is a show where I sit down with one guest and talk about a game that was very special to them and get into like the context of what was cool about that. And yeah, I, I love games. I find my, I'm I'm often buying too many games. Mm. I'm often playing too many games. Yeah. Uh, I'm, and I'm often not finishing any of them. Sure. But, yeah. There's no yeah. time to finish when you got to move on to the next one just to look at it. You know, it's true. Yeah. Just get those endorphins rushing and then, yeah. then I'm good. I find myself looking at more games than I'm actually technically playing. Oh yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm always turning on a game to jump around in it for a minute and then, and then quickly turn it off to another, another game. Oh, certainly. I, I, I definitely have more games that I've turned on and started for less than an hour than <laughs> games I have completed over the last year. For sure. Certainly. Yeah. And that comes with the territory. I think of just wanting to 
you know, broaden your horizon a little bit mm-hmm. when you go into yeah. these conversations about games, even if it is, you know, uh, to do comedy about them, you are sort of, you want to know what you're talking about a little bit. You know, you want to totally. know the subject uh, going in. I think, and, and to, for me to pivot from mostly joking to mostly serious, I think that's part of the reason that got me so that turned that flipped that switch for me a couple years ago was when I, I think the first time I even came on your show, we talked about silent Hill, which is a game that I still have zero experience with, right. but I wanted to be prepared. So I looked up a bunch of videos. I read stuff about it and I started wanting to do that about more video games. And, and here we are, I'm wearing a shirt that literally says, I'm wearing a video game shirt oh, right now. Great. Yeah. I haven't even, I haven't seen that one, but then again, I haven't seen you for the most part in the last six months. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you're listening to this recording um, in the year of our Lord 2020, then you know all about the COVID-19 pandemic that has swept our nation. Uh, we are still going through that. So we are recording remotely one day. We will record in person again one day, hopefully. But for now, no, it's uh, we're we're doing this remote. So if you hear little pauses or whatever, it's because our, you know, there's a lag on our internet or something like that. But that just just be warned, listener, be warned. Yeah. Um, so on our first episode of Super NPCs, which we will be covering everything from uh, video games to developers to consoles to uh, you know anything we want, I think is fair game on this show. Uh, mm-hmm. But we wanted to start strong with something we both know and love, something that the audience could probably identify with, and that is of course the Super Mario Bros. game for the Famicom and the NES respectively uh the game that started it all uh and i'm and i'm proud of that choice i'm i'm I'm, i feel confident in that we can do it we can do an episode about super mario bros (laughs) we absolutely can yeah even though it's been done a a lot we can do our version you know what i will say having been doing research for this episode uh all personal context aside um it was actually kind of fun, hard to find people talking about this game mm. compared to other games. I will say there's a lot more that people have that I've at least you can find modern media about Mario War, Super Mario World, mm. Super Mario Three, mm-hmm. Mario sixty four. So I'm excited to you know talk about it. Yeah, me too. Uh, this is a game that I played for the first time back in the early nineties. Where my a little frame of reference for me, how where I'm coming into video games, right? It's like I'm born in '87, so my first memory of a console is like '91 with the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. I don't know if I even have a lot of memories that date back before the Super Nintendo <laughs> or the original Game Boy. And while I don't remember which one we got first, I know we got both of those around the same time, and it it was over. That was. All I cared about until high school was just what every Christmas and birthday was getting a new video game. Uh, But I didn't have an NES growing up, uh, but my grandma did and my friends did. So if I wanted to play the original Super Mario Bros games, one, two and three or the original Legend of Zelda or uh, Mega Man, I would have to go over to their house and, and, and play it there for what limited time we had. But I do remember getting pretty far in Super Mario Brothers 3. And I remember with Super Mario Brothers 1, uh, you just having no way of knowing how far I actually got <laughs> because you never knew 
you know, how long the game actually was. I, I don't think as a, as children, we had the patience to blow through the whole game in one go. Cause as you know, with this game, there is no saves. There are no passwords to get back to where you were. All there are is like warp pipes. So you can skip parts of the game that you've already played a bunch before. <laughs> if you want to get ahead. Uh, what was your personal context going into super Mario bros? Um, this is the, the first game I ever remember whatsoever, whether that be watching or playing. Um, I was born in 1990. This system came out five years before we didn't have growing up a super Nintendo, but my, my family, my mom and dad had a, had an NES, my, uh, grandparents and my aunt and uncle who lived in St. Louis, basically my only other family really also had one. So regardless of whether we were where we lived or visiting family, there was always an NES around. Mm. And I remember being so just, uh, captured by this game. I, played it so much uh, we had this one we had this through um through all three of the super mario brothers we i never played a zelda game until ocarina um mm. but i i remember putting so much time in this game really never getting i don't think i ever got that far my parents i remember them they knew about the the secrets at least some of them i remember them telling me about i think the I'm the first lesson I remember ever learning is that there, which is going to sound silly, but I think it might be the first lesson is that if you jump in this particular spot above this little green hill on world one, one, then you're going to hit an invisible block and mm -hmm. get an extra life. Mm -hmm. Um, so they taught me stuff like that. They claim I, I was talking to them about this game, uh, this last, uh, Christmas cause I was home and I was playing through it on the TV and they were watching me, which was kind of fun, but they claim to have beaten it together. I oh. don't know if that's true. Uh, <laughs> I, cause they, every time we try to play games now, it's like, they've never played a video game right. <laughs> ever, yeah. but I understand this is 30 years later. It's a little different. Um, but I love this game. I didn't beat it until, uh, this last year actually. And then the other day I played through it as well, but it's a game that throughout my life I've gone back to, I've always, I've gotten it on like every virtual console you can do. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's what like truly started my love for video games, even though it's, it's not my favorite. It's still very, very important. I think you'd be hard pressed <laughs> to find anybody whose favorite Mario game is super yes. Mario bros especially when you have super Mario brothers three out for the same platform and <laughs> yeah. not that much later, but this is the game that started it all. And there's so much goodness here to be mined and talked about. There's so many interesting things about super Mario bros that I really want to get into. Um, so with that, we should probably jump into the historical context uh, of the game and development history and all that good stuff. Bros is a platform game developed and published by, you guessed it, Nintendo. <laughs> the uh, successor to the 1983 arcade game Mario Bros and the first in the Super Mario series of platformers. It was released in Japan in 1985 for the Famicom and North America and Europe for the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1985 and 1987, respectively. Does that... That means that we got it in 1985 and they got it. Europe got it in 87. Is that right? Correct. Okay, great. And the, and the U.S. date is actually 
kind of not clear as Nintendo. A, yeah are you were you about to share that no go for it oh i was just gonna say it's nintendo will claim that it was released in the united states in october of 1985 but there's actually it's hard to find any like hard evidence like like a catalog that yeah. had that listed or anything so it's just listed as quarter four 1985 <laughs> i mean back then um with you know console releases and games and arcade cabinets they didn't really have the foresight to know that these sorts of that sort of information was going to be important. And I don't think that they yeah. treated rolling like rollouts the same way that they do with mm -hmm. games right now. It's like everything launches at 9 p.m. the Thursday before. And if you want a physical copy, you'll get it the next unless you're waiting in line at a brick and mortar store, you'll get it the next day. Yep. Uh, Back then, it's very nebulous as to when things came out, especially when you look at the arcade scene yes like that was hard to tell because certain stores would get our or certain arcades would get cabinets earlier than others so it's like kind of impossible to tell it's the wild west so to speak mm -hmm. um so uh players control mario or his brother luigi in the multiplayer mode as they travel the mushroom kingdom to rescue princess toadstool from bowser they must traverse side-scrolling stages while avoiding hazards such as enemies and pits with the aid of power-ups such as Super Mushroom, Fire Flower, and Starman. Um, quick note about uh, multiplayer in Super Mario Bros. I think it's very interesting that essentially it is the, the same effect you get from trading a controller back and forth. It's that yeah. kind of multiplayer. But what but selecting two-player mode does is essentially gives you that much more extra lives. Yes. So, so you yeah. share you share the livestock. Uh, no, you. But but it's because you're playing as two different people, you each get your own set of lives. Gotcha. So assuming that you're you know um, playing through the game, uh, you know I, I remember this would frequently happen is one person would be not as good as the other person. <laughs> so you know your Mario ends up game overing while yes. Luigi maybe has three or four more lives. So you end up just trading the controller back and forth anyway to play through the rest of yeah. Luigi's stuff. <laughs> but now what, what I can't remember about multiplayer is, is are you playing the same levels? Like if Luigi beats a level, does Mario get to then play his next level? That is truthfully a question that I don't know the answer to. Yeah. I almost only ever played single player and if you played two player like you said it was usually with someone who you were at least me was like making my sister play right and no offense but she would she d didn't spend her, all of her time playing games so <laughs> yeah. she had a life right so she would lose early so i don't remember to be yeah. honest yeah so uh, which whatever the case may be with uh, multiplayer Super Mario, um, they they would end up sort of perfecting this kind of thing in Super Mario Bros. Three, yeah, where you have a world map and Luigi can complete stages or Mario can complete stages, and that counts for both of you. Yeah. Um, in 1988, the game was released along with the shooting range game Duck Hunt as part of a single ROM cartridge, which came packaged with the NES as a pack-in game as part of the console's action set. The version of the game is extremely common in North America with millions of copies of it having, uh, having been manufactured and sold in the United States. So if you go to any like retro games game store, uh, you'll see hundreds of these copies uh, of Super yep. Mario Bros. and Duck Hunt. I actually don't own one, which is stupid. I should own one of these, um, <laughs> uh, especially a box copy would be great 
for for that for that pack in because assuming one day I will have an actual physical NES, uh, you know, to th- <laughs> I don't know why I would ever buy one, but just yeah. because I'm insane and need everything, uh, <laughs> it would be cool to have that cartridge to play. Yes, again, that's the one that uh, that we have, and I don't think I've ever seen just a Super Mario Bros. cart. Right, it's always had Duck Hunt with it. It's always what I've associated with it. Yeah. Do you have the Zapper, the the gun I, that came with the NES? I do have the Zapper. Nice. Uh, I've never, I have not played with it here, but uh, but we used to play a ton growing up. Yeah, from what I understand, it does not work with modern flat screen TVs. Is that Correct. right? I believe I believe you need a CRT style TV. Yeah, to do so, to do light gun stuff in general, unless you have a Wii, which I actually this is kind of a sidebar note. I found that to be extremely cool. I think I, I had you over and played House of the Dead for the Wii yeah. for a little bit. I found that to be really uh, intriguing that like light gun games just do not work. But if you have a motion control system like the Wii, you're able to actually play like House of the Dead or yep. Sin and Punishment or you know whatever other light gun games there were uh but they have to of course be for the wii which is a bummer but i wonder <laughs> if they ever had a virtual console version of duck hunt and i wonder if that worked with the wii mode <laughs> i that's a great question i don't think they ever did yeah um, a lot of me wondering stuff on this episode i'm realizing <laughs> just just wondering in general <laughs> hey we're we're wanderers so what yeah, the heck we're one you know wanderers it looks like yeah it was on the the Wii U Virtual Console. Duck Hunt. Now that was? I'm seeing that, yeah. I wonder how you would play it. I guess you'd maybe play it with the Wiimote still. Yeah, I guess so. That's strange. Hey, a lot of wondering and a little bit of detective work on this episode. I found this to be extremely interesting with regards to the development history of the game. There's obviously, I mean, whole books can be written about the development history of Super Mario Bros because it is such a seminal piece of work for Nintendo. It is what started everything. And I'm, you know, there's, you know, there's so much to be said about it and we can get into any amount or as little or as much as we want here on this episode. But I made a note to, to talk about this because I think that it is probably my favorite thing about Super Mario Bros. And it's this during the third generation of video game consoles, which even that sentiment blew my mind. So the NES was the third generation of video game consoles. What was the first two? I, uh, ro- rocks and sticks. <laughs> I believe if you look back, uh, it was a man named Lloyd Frank. Uh-huh. And, and he had rocks and sticks were the first video game. No, it, it, that is kind of uh, mind-blowing, though, because the NES seems so primitive to us. Yeah. But it was, it was already a little evolved. I was going to say, I, I guess maybe to me, the 2600, was that the first generation? The Atari 2600? Hmm. Yeah, we don't know. A lot of wondering. <laughs> so uh, during the third generation of video game consoles, tutorials on gameplay were rare. Instead, players learned how, to, uh, how a video game worked through being guided by level design. The opening section of Mario Bros. was therefore specifically designed in such a way that players would be forced to explore the mechanics of the game in order to be able to advance rather than confront the newly oriented player with obstacles. The first uh, level of super Mario bros lays down uh, the variety of in-game hazards by means of repetition, iteration and escalation in an interview with Eurogamer Miyamoto explained that he created world one, one, 
to contain everything a player needs to gradually and naturally understand what they're doing so that they can quickly understand how the game works. According to Miyamoto, once the player understands the mechanics of the game, the player will be able to play more freely and it becomes the quote, their game. Um, so yeah, we should also maybe mention that the game was designed by Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka. Um, as a grand culmination of the Famicom team's three years of game mechanics and programming. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, Miyamoto, I feel like, and, and Tezuka, we are fair game to do whole episodes on <laughs> at, yeah. a, at a later date. They're just so important to gaming and like game design in general. But essentially what that, what that paragraph that I just read illustrates is like from a game design point of view, this particular game is like on a next level of brilliance. Like yes. it, everything you need to know is is shown to you rather than told to you in a manual or some other tutorial um, in a way that almost everyone who plays comes to the game will naturally discover these things yep. on their own. And that I imagine is not a easy thing to accomplish. <laughs> no, probably not, especially uh, back then in, in such an earlier stage of games and game design. Whereas now it seems like the we've I think we've had discussions about this. The best games, the the best way and the best way to intro someone to a game is to have the first levels or the first level be essentially a tutorial like this. Um, I was even thinking as I've, as you know, I'm playing through Bioshock for the first time. Mm -hmm. I'm nearing the end of the game. And I, when I came back to it for the second time, which I, I just played through the first level, right. the first time when I came back to it, I realized how well, good of a job that game does to orient you with, uh, your surroundings with how to use your abilities. And Mario does the same thing. And this was like, now it, it feels common. It feels like something we come to expect with a lot of games, but this really, uh, set uh, the standard for it. And, and as we're going to learn in so many other ways. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I guess just like when you think about world one, one, it's like such an, yes. it's, it's like weird. Like I could, I could draw you the stage from yeah. memory because it's uh -huh. so ingrained in, in my, in my head uh, of yep. like a perfect level design, perfectly showing you where to locate certain things. Like the game wants you to find all of its power ups in that first level. Cause it wants to show you yes. what all of them do. So it perfectly places them in ways where your eyes are naturally drawn and then you can go and you can access those things. And it, it's just like, like how would I know that a star man, quote unquote, like a, a, a star bouncing in the air that I'm supposed to touch that thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then how would I know based on touching that, that I'm supposed to then run into all the enemies as opposed to jumping on them? Well, when, yeah. When all the other times, if you touch an enemy without jumping on them, you get hurt, you get hurt. Exactly. It so what, what, what do they use? Well, they use colors and music and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, flashing lights to distinguish yourself from your background and stuff. You know, it, it's, it's very fascinating, like the psychology of world one, one to the player, yeah. you know, uh, which is again, I'll probably say this a lot on this show. You could do a whole episode on that. 
just world yes. one one but um it is pretty spectacular it, it's it what is most impressive to me is just how much of that level i mean we're going to talk about we'll get into it later how much this game did and what's what is still pulled from this first mario super mario brothers game but even in that first level how much it introduces and that is such mainstays throughout the series is just kind of incredible <laughs> So the story of uh, Super Mario Bros. <laughs> uh, within the game itself is, uh, I would I would say, uh, famously, uh, like not self involved. <laughs> yes, it's like famously uh, uh, small in scope and simple. Um, it has uh, you as your hero and you're moving through stages to save a princess who's been kidnapped uh, by some uh, unknown threat uh, that is revealed to be a giant dinosaur. <laughs> uh, and I believe that you get a lot of the naming names and stuff from the manual, like Bowser. I think you get from the manual. Is that... Yes, yeah. Goomba you Goomba. get from the manual. Yeah, none of this stuff is said like the na- who they are, what they are. Um, yeah, which which was very, you know, which is kind of just common for games back then. Even yeah. like the fact there's a lot less story going on in this than there would even be in a Zelda game. But even the first Zelda, at least the guy in the old, the old man at the beginning tells you like, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. That's more context than you get in just about all of this game with right. the exception of at the end of every castle at the end of every castle you you uh think you're saving the princess because you've beaten bowser in every castle but <laughs> it turns out maybe these are you know off screen maybe bowser's actually getting away or that wasn't the real bowser that was a phantom yeah. bowser and uh you you've you've saved a toad who it's sort of a red herring the toad is yes. and uh the toad famously says the line um the princess is in another castle yep like every time you 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 uh you go through this i so as far as the characters go, you have Mario and Luigi. They are brothers. They are mm-hmm. from, it, it, I believe it's explained in the manual that they are from Brooklyn. Like that, that, <laughs> that, they, that wasn't just invented for the Bob Hoskins movie. Um, they are plumbers. Hence why there is pipes. Yep. And you have a princess, uh, toadstool, who is uh, she wears a pink dress, has a little tiara. You have toads who seem to be good, good uh, mushroom people. Good mushroom people, and then you have uh, what I've always sort of described as like the the least cohesive body of enemies, sort of <laughs> yes. coming at you. Uh, Connor, how would you describe the enemy types? Uh, and try As not to and, and don't use the word dinosaur because these motherfuckers aren't dinosaurs that They're I've ever not. seen. <laughs> and like you said, it's not cohesive. There's a there's a bunch of different types. There's, <laughs> there's the Goombas, which are essentially the evil, uh, the evil mushrooms, evil mushrooms, the little, the little brown ones that walk around on their little feet 
don't really even have bodies. There's there's <laughs> Koopas. Uh, which are turtles. Which are turtles, mm-hmm. uh, which I would guess are just supposed to be like, it's like Bowser's fleet of, yeah. of enemies coming at you. There's And of course, there's green and red shell Koopas. There are just regular walking Koopas, or there are the ones with wings that bounce. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, there are, uh, there's Lakitu, who who you know throw he's the little guy in the cloud who goes above the level and in a few of them will like throw down the spiky uh i don't even remember their names well, yeah they're like shelled spiky red creatures yeah, yeah. and then there are a few of those there's also yeah. the, the the other iteration are the ones with just like the black or blue mm-hmm. dark blue shells mm-hmm. they're in a lot of the underground levels uh right there are the, the bullet bills are yeah. in this game mm-hmm. fire or the not fire flowers, but piranha plants. Piranha plants. Both kinds of piranha plants are here. So the ones yes. that'll just come up and, and snatch you, and then the ones that will shoot fire at you. Um, you also get the cheap cheeps in the water stages. Yep. And I believe you do get bloopers. Bloopers for sure. Yeah. You don't get skeleton uh, enemies in the first game, do you? Like skeleton Koopas? I don't think so. I think you're correct. I'm I'm especially, you know, I should know having replayed this the other day. Right. uh, The, I believe in like Bowser's castle, which is normally where you'd see the skeleton Koopas or dry bones or whatever. Dry bones. They are not, they're not there. I think that is a three Mario three edition. Yeah. Um, so the, the story is kind of wild and crazy. I mean, it on its, and the very, very simple level, it is a hero going to save the princess from a kidnapper, a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But then when you, it is really funny to look at all the elements of it and it, it's like, no, it's a, it's a plumber from Brooklyn who's in this crazy <laughs> mushroom kingdom who yeah. is running through all these wild levels and saving the mushroom princess from a big dinosaur. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, it, it the enemy designs, I mean, they're supposed to be dinosaurs. And I think the cohesion of the world is supposed to be like, this is like a dinosaurs area where dinosaurs are free roaming, but they're not like a T-Rex or a pterodactyl or a velociraptor. They're Correct. like a turtle, a mushroom, uh, some fish, uh, <laughs> you know, some, some plants, some harmful plants, um, and then Bowser, who is clearly some kind of dinosaur, but an original design of, yes. of, of some. And I, I've always felt this about Mario that I think it's so fascinating. And I think this is a good thing. This is a positive thing I, I'm, I'm, I'll put forth about Mario is that they, there isn't a clear, uh, like cohesive, uh, you know, design element to Mario. It is like disparate ideas that come together to make it. And at this point now, since it's been around for 35, almost 40 years, yeah. uh, we can go yet. Yeah, we can go. Yes. See, that is, that is the Mario vibe. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a little mushroom. It's a little fantasy. It's a little dinosaur. A uh, little bit of this, a little bit of that. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, there's a little bit of bullet bills. Like those, they don't seem to fit, you know. No, uh, not at all. Uh, as opposed to something like Mega Man, very cohesive. Everything yeah. is just robots. So, yes. and it's robots Thankfully, with a theme. Yeah. Mario, famously, a lot of these games don't have very deep stories, but I will say, thankfully, for the ones that do, they don't get 
get into the lore of like, why are the dinosaurs here? Where did Bowser come from? I'm totally. glad they just let it run and have fun with it. And and to this day, with the exception, I think, of Super Mario Sunshine, they really haven't even tried to take a stab at what a story might even look like for the Mario. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, with- oh, I guess Paper Marios are a different story, but... Yeah, um, RPGs definitely feel different. I mean, Galaxy does have a story but it's also very very simple very very basic i would say odyssey same same thing yeah it has a very has a story but it's very basic very simple mario's not doing any you know self inward self like reflection (laughs) (laughs) there's and there's no reason to he's just kind of like a like a happy determined guy yes It, it is it is like the vibe of mario you're right is like happy determined uh, he seems to be doing things just for the good of of Toad Manity. <laughs> yeah, uh, you Toad know Manity. he's there. We were joking the other day on video games a comedy show. Like, what is the character of Mario? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, and some things that were thrown around were like hungry, uh, loves you yes. know family, loves his brother. <laughs> like, he doesn't really, but it. But you are never confused about what Mario is up to, right? Almost like Mickey Mouse, the design of Mario has gotten so clear and so defined that you don't need more information because you're you you get it. You're like, okay, Mario's here. He's a he's gonna help save the day, and these people are not these these are these are not good folk. They need to be rounded up. Yeah, uh, I think you know that's just. Part of what makes the whole series great is that it's really just like, yeah, you don't have to think about it. Just go play the game and have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, which I think is a good segue into like the gameplay and mechanics of Mario yeah. in general, um, uh, uh, which you didn't even know you were giving me such a great segue. And we all know that segues are best when they're pointed out, called out and made a big deal of, you know? Yes. Which uh, we pledge to do in every <laughs> turn of the show. <laughs> um, so Connor, as best as you can, why don't you describe to me the mechanics of Mario? Like, what are you able to do in this game? So this game, well, it's called, it would, it would be classified as a platformer, which is a game where I don't even know if this is a correct definition, but it's a game where you control a character and you move through levels by, by running, jumping, uh, and avoiding pitfalls, avoiding getting hit. And you try to get to the end level, especially these early Mario games. There's like a goalpost Mm -hmm. at the end of them. So, um, as far as the mechanics go, you, the, if we think about the NES controller, it only had, I guess, six, six buttons four being on the the D pad directions, Mm -hmm. the start, select a and B. So you only have really two buttons you're using being a and B and the using the D pad, you move through the level, just the directional pad. We all know it. Uh, Beautiful D by the way. Beautiful D. Beautiful Incredible D. Yeah. Set, I think the NES the is still my favorite D pad of all yeah. time. I, I, st- I like this SNES D pad, mm-hmm. but, but I, I do, uh, I do like the NES as well, mm-hmm. but you're using the D pad to move in directions. You can crouch by pressing down. I don't know if up does anything besides like climb vines. Um, B you can hold 
either A, you can use B. <laughs> a, you can use B. That's confusing. A, uh, you can use B. <laughs> there's one power up in the game. So if, if you happen to have the fire flower, you can press B to shoot, fl- to shoot a little fireball that mm-hmm. bounces. Or you can hold it to uh, to run and jump faster and higher. So, yeah. yeah. And, and then on that a note, on jump. that note, you, I will say that in this game, there is rarely a time you're not your your thumb is not mashed to the B button. You, oh it, yeah. It, what I don't know what kind of sociopath walks around in Mario, but you're you're. I don't good. know how you can. <laughs> I don't think you can in most levels. I think you have to be running to jump uh, for <laughs> most of one, it. That's the one. It's the one pro tip about the first game is just hold B with the left side of your right thumb mm-hmm. and mash A with the right side of your right thumb. Right. Yeah, that's a good pro tip, and it, it's kind of a amazing to me how how that is not always super clear to people playing a video game for the first time like i forget you have to learn that that is that's how you play the game is by uh at at first it it feels almost like when you're first doing it and using this uh it almost feels like you're turning on a boost that you don't know how to use Mm -hmm. you have to get comfortable using it but now as people who've played these games many times and put a lot of hours into them. I don't play the game without, like you said, holding down B basically the entire time. Same goes for super Mario world. Yeah. Um, and just about maybe not every game on the NES and super NES used this, but a lot of games would go on to adopt that, that sort of mechanic, which is to hold Y, I believe it was Y on the SNES controller yeah. or B on the NES controller to run. That is like not uh, necessarily secluded to Mario. There are lots Correct. of other games that that use that use that mechanic because it's so functional. Um, I, I don't know why you would ever walk in the games and looking back, you might have been able to just if if they just uh had designed mario to always be running <laughs> you know yeah. it would have saved your controllers a lot of stress and you wouldn't have been it's <laughs> sort of like the idea of holding a to to go in a race car where yes. it's sort of like after a while you realize that it, it really does defeat the purpose like you <laughs> might as well just have that as always on because you're never not pushing on the gas yeah, with like rare exception. With very um, rare exception, yeah. While while we're still discussing the controls, I know we haven't really gotten to like the gameplay itself. Mm-hmm. I want to point out some stuff that I found that I find particularly interesting that I think this game set the standard for, like many other things, which is wh- when you jump. Um, in a lot of games before this, like Donkey Kong or Mario Bros, uh, if you are running and, and you jump, you can continue your jump path. You will jump to the right mm-hmm. or left. Um, but if you were to just jump, jump while you're stationary, mm-hmm. Mario goes straight up and down. You can't actually alter his, uh, his movement whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But in this game in super Mario bros, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can jump and then move change both directions, which really helps, especially as you get later in the game to landing precise jumps on smaller blocks. Yeah. Um, it was just something that wasn't seen before. And now it's something that is so, this is one of those things we're going to keep saying, but are is such a standard in Mario games and in platformers. Yeah. Today. I would also add on to that uh, piggyback, just 
the gravity of Mario yeah. uh, has been used uh, a million times. Like that, that is the perfect way to have a character jump. You want him to move quickly up and then float slowly down yeah. is sort of Mario's <laughs> almost like a moonwalk uh, mm-hmm. jump mechanic. And if a game doesn't have that sort of uh, quickly you go up and then slow, slowly you come down, uh, you really feel it. You really Absolutely. feel it in other games where the jump is um, more uh, like heavy, heavy or, or, or too quick or if it's mm-hmm. equal on both sides. I, I'm even trying to remember Mega Man because Mega Man might even have a more perfect jump mechanic yeah. than Mario um, or just different for its game. But uh, Mega Man, I think also has something similar where his jump, it feels very precise. I mean, pixel perfect jumps is, is what you're going to need, especially if you're in Japan and they come out with super Mario brothers Two, the lost levels yeah. you're going to oh need, God. you're going to need, uh, you know, those pixel perfect jumps. You need anger management is what you're going <laughs> to yeah. need if you're playing lost yes. levels. Yes. Um, the last thing I wanted to say about his controls, which has to do with the jumping is that, uh, it, again, it's something that seems so, uh, standard now, which is you could affect the, the height of Mario's jumps, of course, by holding B, but, but by also by the pressure you put on the A button, mm-hmm. you could do like a, t- uh, just tap the A and he'll do a tiny jump or you could hold it as long as you can yeah. and he'll do his highest jump, which is also something really new. Yeah. And there definitely is going to be, uh, opportunities for you to want to tap that a, as opposed to just completely reefing down on the, on the button because some, in some of the castle areas, like smaller jumps are, you know, you're going to need those to dodge certain uh, fireballs without hitting something uh, at the top. Yes. You know, uh, also, you know, uh, with enemy design, they've of course just pioneered the perfect, uh, like illustration for things that are going to harm you. If you jump on them, things that are going to, that you can safely jump on. Goombas have nice round heads. Koopas have (laughs) nice round bodies. Uh, those, those things that the light lack throws out have nice spiky shells that are like no you cannot hit these you know um so they really you know while i i will always maintain that this the art style is not cohesive it definitely is clear what is going to hurt you and what is going to not hurt you uh uh, not not every game has that a lot of games don't have that for example a game i famously love is bonk which is a, a, a game of the same era for the turbo graphics. And uh, it's not clear what everything yep. is that you can hit and touch and bounce and spring on. You kind of have to experiment, which can be a fun that can be fun in and of itself. But um, the, the designers of Mario had something different in mind. They didn't want you to mess around with uh, exploring the game's mechanisms. They wanted you to have them all and complete the challenges. And I, and and that has led to, uh, I would say games like super meat boy and stuff. Like there's a direct lineage, um, to those types of games, but we'll get, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, anything about, um, 
Is there anything that we haven't touched on? There's a couple of things in the mechanics that I, I want to mention that like are Please. not in the game that you might think were in the game if you've played other Mario games. Yeah. Because Mario would uh, evolve as a 2D platformer with every iteration. And this particular game does not have some of these staples that would end up later in the Mario series. Yes. The biggest one to me, and you can share any of that you that you have mm-hmm. found, but the biggest and most troubling one to me is that when you jump on an enemy, you cannot spring <sighs> off of the enemy onto another enemy. It, 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 uh, you, you're given a little, barely anything jump, jump you from the enemy. You kind of just step off them yeah, almost. It's like you kind of just <laughs> crush the enemy and then step off the enemy um so in later (laughs) mario games you're able to like chain uh uh you know destroying enemies in your path you can chain them by bouncing off of one to the next to the next and And get a little boost and get a little boost and uh it's something that i you know and in in mario maker have built a lot of levels around that design choice uh and and have gone back through in the Super Mario 1 version of that game, like designing a Super Mario 1 level and can still use because in that game, that me- the mechanic is put back into Super Mario Bros. Yes. But here in the original NES release, you are not able to do that. And I, f- I find that that is really tough <laughs> to go back to and, re- and have to remind myself that I cannot spring off this Koopa and jump onto this platform. I have to... Uh, sometimes just dodge the enemy altogether. You know, I think because first off, I agree with you. I wish that was in the game because this is the first game I really ever played and it's DNA is so ingrained in me. When I play this one, I don't even try to do that. It's not even like a thing that is in my second nature. It's, and I think because of that, it's something I had to teach myself to do in for sure. Super Mario world. And I'm guessing you can do that in three, but I don't know for sure. Oh yeah, you can. Um, I would say first off, that is a very strange one not to have in this game, especially as this is described as an athletic platform, an athletic game zipping through the level can be one of the most fun things to do sometime. Sometimes, um, I would say for me, um, a weird thing that you can't do that comes later is when you, after you first jump on a Koopa, they don't immediately get destroyed. They just, I guess they go inside of their shell, <laughs> yeah. um, but, and you can kick the shell if you just like run oh, into it and, right. and it can take out enemies. But what you can't do is hold down the B button and then in older games or newer games, excuse me, when you would touch the shell by holding B, you grab it. Yeah. And then you, when you release B, you throw it mm-hmm. and you can't do that in this game. I forgot That's about the one, that. Yeah. That's maybe the one that I still have to uh, un unwire out of myself because that will that will really wreck your wreck your day is if you're trying yeah. to grab a Koopa and then instead you kick it right at a pipe that is right in and front it, of you and it just immediately <laughs> comes back yes and hits you right in your dingus nose right in your dingus nose um that is that is very funny I did forget that that was not a part of uh, this game uh, we should talk briefly I think about pipes and yes, this please. and that one of the things that was I think interesting about uh, this from a game design point of view was that pipes took you to other places. Um, They were treated as warps, so you could warp between levels with them. Uh, You could also just go underground and get coins and whatnot. Uh, 
it, it gave the game a sense of scope that had never been seen before. And to this day still makes it feel bigger than it is. Absolutely. Uh, I think that certain games did this really well. Like, like cast, like all the classics NES titles did this well, like Castlevania and Mega Man and, you know, Batman. Uh, but, and the tur- even the terrible NES Turtles game uh, yep. <laughs> did this, but but like there's a lot. There's so many games where it, it just feels so limited because you can tell the areas are so uh, you know condensed and small. And something that helps it feel like a more realized place is you know that you have a, there's some sort of dynamics to the to the levels in general you know going down underground being in the water uh being in the clouds or whatever i don't yeah. uh you you do you are able to go into the clouds in some correct yeah. there are a couple levels where you can hit a either a secret block or an existing block and have a, a vine will mm-hmm. take you up to the clouds and you can like that's kind of oftentimes they'll have a bunch of coins there kind of yeah. like the underground levels there's not a lot of vines i, I would say too in the game right like because I, I and i i feel like i know this is true because the the actual sprite of mario uh shirking up the vine is something that <laughs> i i always find shocking to see yes. again because he looks it's a just a sprite I don't see a lot, which is him yep. like completely sideways, arms and legs out, like uh, shimmying up the up the it vine. Is, I would say it's the most uh, disturbing thing in the entire game <laughs> is watching Mario do that, <laughs> shimmy up and down. Um, I guess in the other games, the sprite is just turned completely back to the camera and, and climbs up like a normal person. You know, I can't remember. It probably depends on the game. That's hard. I don't know for sure. Definitely in Mario World, that's how it's treated. Uh, In Mario Three, it might he might he might climb sideways up. At least in that game, he turns around and doesn't make us watch it. So, (laughs) Um, yeah. The the speaking of the the pipes and the secrets in the game, that was something that was uh, that was so. First off, playing a video game, this is more of a personal thing. Playing video games were amazing and playing this game was amazing. But the fact that there were like layered secrets to it Mm. made it seem even more fantastical. Mm. And I think was probably part of the reasons that I was so intrigued in the first place. Um, uh, The pipes were really cool, as you were saying, not only to like go uh, to kind of skip a whole level, like in the first world, Mm -hmm. um, one of the pipes you can go through and it's not the first one. I think it's like the fourth pipe you can go down. You just collect some coins in a brief underground level and then you come up and you're basically at the end. Yeah. So uh, there was, of course, uh, I don't know if you were going to mention this later, but when talking about secrets in the game, one of the other first things I remember is in the first in world one, two, the first underground, Mm -hmm. fully underground level, you can like get on top of the stage. Yeah. Go behind the actual end pipe and warp to later levels. Yeah. Which was amazing. It really was a, an aspect of the game that made you feel like anything was possible. Like when we, when we look at games like breath of the wild, that I think that is the uh, the most modern example of a game that really made you feel like I can literally do anything. There is so much to discover here. Uh, 
you can see it's so primitive now, but you can look and, and you can sort of mine from Super Mario Bros. That same exact feeling just done in a much smaller scale for much uh, for a, a much different time, technologically speaking. Uh, getting on top of the stage is one of the coolest moments yeah. I think a child of that era could discover. You know, oh, yeah. an 80s kid or a 90s kid getting on top of the stage, running to the end and then what are you, are you rewarded with coins are you rewarded with just beating the stage no you're rewarded with go to any level you want you know uh whether it be the one right afterwards the world three or world four yeah. and then i believe it's if you go to the I'm, there's another level where it's you can, in two though right you have to go skip to world two I don't know where you can do the next set of warps. Yeah, there's another there's another warp stage that's in another underground level by mm. doing ex- essentially the same thing where you have to get on top of the stage again to get to the end. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny to think about the warping in this game and how that of course th- more literally stayed in the game to in Mario 3 mm-hmm. with the whistles. Mm-hmm. Um but I would say the the sort of warping that we have in the in one and three is a lot different than what we get later. I feel like in Mario World you find secrets and eventually you can go to like Star Road and you open up little paths. Mm. But I don't think there's a part in that game where you find a secret and then warp to World Seven or whatever. I don't believe. I no. still feel like you got to go through most of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's set. It's it's set up differently. The there are still. I mean, Super Mario World is has maybe the most secrets of any yeah. of the Mario games, but Mario 3 and Mario 1 share this aspect of you can skip around to different worlds and with and 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 they've set it up to where relatively quickly in the game within two worlds you can get all the way to the end of the game and i think part of the reason for doing this was you know the wonderment of having secrets buried in your game is such a cool aspect of mario an iconic aspect of it but also there's no saves or passwords. So <laughs> if you're a game designer and you want to just get to a different part of the game because you want to test it or you want to show somebody, you would put in these little secret paths to get to where you wanted to go. It's almost like breaking into the game's back, you know, mainframe and hacking it yeah. and getting to a different uh, a part of it. And I think that that... That is that is such good game design <laughs> that like allows you to like skip around to like any part of the game that yeah. you essentially want to, while at the same time fully you don't feel like you know if I'm playing Super Mario Bros today I don't use those warps because I'm trying to see every level of the game I'm trying to get through it you only do those warps if you're playing an NES cartridge and you just got a game over on World 4 and you're like fuck that yeah. I'm not going to play through all those levels again I'm going straight to World 4 <laughs> totally. um, yeah I think um this might more be more of a uh a legacy thing to discuss later. But I think while we're on the subject, those secrets were so cool and they were so, um, fantastic that it, it's sort of like dawned a new era of, of rumors of, of people speculating like, 
or hearing like, Hey, my cousin that knows that there's another warp on this level and you can only do it if you get, if you get through this block or whatever, that sort of thing was like, sort of feels like it was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, when something is codified almost maybe oh, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say or like it's that, like it exists now beyond itself it's in the zeitgeist of like yes. of like pop culture uh the NES was rife with that sort of uh playground street cred yeah. Uh, <laughs> where yeah like the konami code era the era of uh how do i get to the dungeons in zelda which i mean we'll probably do an episode on that game the very first legend of zelda game that game is fucked like unless you have <laughs> unless you have a, a friend who's done it or a guide i mean there's just no fucking way you know how to get to any of these dungeons and it's uh it's true but in Mario, I think, yeah, you had the same type of thing where it was like kids on this, on the playground, you know, if you can do that and if you do a certain amount of button presses or if you get to a certain place, you can go to a certain thing. There's, there's levels at the end of Mario. And I mean, this sort of playground superstition would go all the way through, um, the, you know, Nintendo 64 era, uh, of gaming, you know, I, I think pretty much the internet has killed that aspect <laughs> of gaming, which is fine. I mean, it's just, yeah. that's just what happens. Like that's just a, a part of the medium evolving, but it, it was a cool, it was cool. And there is still, I think that if you want that vibe in a game and you want that type of community, I would suggest any games from, from software, I think still have that, sort of that sort of wonderment and magic buried in there. We're like, you can still find things in a from software game that have not been showcased on the internet that you wow. would be able to tell your friends about. And uh, to be honest, they're just as hard as super Mario bros one. <laughs> like, wow. like these games are touted as being the hardest games ever made, like dark souls and bloodborne. But, mm-hmm. but really if you compare them to these NES games uh, and the gatekeeping, <laughs> they're about the same amount of hard, like, interesting. uh, so I would, I would suggest if you do still want that sort of playground community around a game and secrets being swapped and little tips and tricks being traded, uh, a from software game always kind of has that surrounding its its releases. Um, wow! Let's talk about the music real quick. Absolutely. Uh, Nintendo sound designer Koji Kondo wrote the six track score for Super Mario Bros. I thought that was immediately interesting. That like it, it feels so much more vibrant than six tracks, but it really yes. only is six tracks. <laughs> Can you name the six off the top of your head? I think I can at least get four. I can get the first three, which are overworld, underworld, and underwater. Yes. Um, I would also say the, the castle, castle theme. Yeah. Um, uh, what would be the... What Does the Starman technically count? Yeah, I think that definitely counts. Or is that just sped up? Oh, I don't know. No, um, I, mean, I think it's its own track. You're probably right. It might be. And then there's probably, a, there's a sixth one that I have no idea what it well, is. Well, it might be like, is there a different, are we counting the track? Like when you complete a level oh, as its duh. own track. Okay. I'm about to look it up right it now. Uh, so you have overworld, underworld, <laughs> underwater, castle theme, star man, level clear, castle clear. Okay. You're dead. Game over. 
some of these are not full tracks. Yeah. I think the six tracks would be one, two, three, four, five. Uh, Maybe it's like five and change. It, so it's overworld, underworld, underwater, castle theme, Starman theme, and then the ending fanfare. Theme. Oh, okay. Uh, there are variations on all the themes when you're running out of time. So it's like the yes. hurry up version of it. And uh, then there are like little sound stingers. So like into the tunnel, uh, game over, you're dead, castle clear, level clear. Those are those are like not quite full tracks, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so he composed the Koji Kondo at this point is a legend in the industry. He composed all those tracks as well as the game sound effects. At the time he was composing video game music was mostly meant to attract attention, not necessarily to enhance or conform to the game. Kondo's work on Super Mario Bros. was one of the major forces in the shift towards music becoming an integral and participant whoops an integral and participatory part of video games Kondo had two specific goals for his music to convey an an unambiguous sonic image of the game world and to enhance the emotional and physical experience of the gamer both of which he nailed the fuck out of (laughs) what um, uh, what a masterpiece. I mean, he, like we talk and about to, people like John Williams here in yeah. the United States being like this, like every great uh, theme has been composed by John Williams, mm-hmm. everything from Jaws to Harry Potter to Jurassic Park to Star Wars. Uh, Koji Kondo is n- not unlike a John Williams. Absolutely. And, and to be fair, when thinking of, uh, when hearing the Mario music, I mean, I think of Sonic, just like Kondo drew it up. He conveys an unambiguous Sonic image, and I'm just thinking of Sonic when I hear the Mario theme song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, of course, kidding, but I think it's right. And and uh, so many, like John Williams in film, so many of his tracks are just absolutely iconic. Uh, the Mario, Just the first level theme, oh, the Mario Brothers theme, is so... It's something you'll like never be able to forget or get out of your DNA at this mm-hmm. point almost. Yeah. Um, and of course we've seen so many iterations of it uh, throughout, throughout time and the, all the other games he's worked on have been so impressive, but it's really cool that it all sort of like started here and leapt off from this point. Yeah. I mean, in, in such a short amount of time, Koji Kondo would, would do the, the scores for not only this game, but the legend of Zelda, both of which they still use the, the basic chord structure of these songs in, in their games today, especially the legend of Zelda. We'll, oh my gosh, we'll, yeah. we'll never be, we'll never part ways with its original theme. And I think for the better, because it is, it is so much like the star Wars theme song and that you just, you can't have the film without the song. It's true. And, and with the songs, the sound effects too mm-hmm. are just such a part of it. And so hard to get out of your, to get out of your brain with both games, whether yeah. it's Mario by getting the, by getting a, a mushroom or just like the sound of Mario jumping that 
mm-hmm. that in this yeah. game, yeah. Um, or even in Zelda, when it comes to like the like discovering mm-hmm. like opening a, door a chest, opening a chest, yeah. it's it's really uh, it's crazy how much of that was like started in this game. Yeah. You know, and there's, I mean, this is, of course, a, a different conversation, but just because you brought it up, it is also like to me such a, I don't even know if this was a forethought in their mind, but like making their two biggest franchises, which it couldn't have been a forethought because they didn't know that these two were going to be their biggest franchises. But yeah. Mario has a very red palette to to the game and whereas Zelda has a very green palette to the game. It just feels like they did it on purpose, which maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Even if they did do it on purpose, they had no way of knowing that these would be their two biggest cash cows of all time. Um, so speaking of that, the visual, the visuals, we've pretty much touched on a lot of the visual yeah. aspect of it, but, uh, you know, it is an eight bit game. And even for an eight bit game in an eight bit era, it is still, it is a little crude compared to, yes. uh, like even Mario bros two in the U S or Mario brothers three, which feel like much more, I mean, they're late in the NES lifetime, but they're much more realized visual graphics, uh, yeah. What do you think of the look of Mario Brothers One? Um, now, I think <laughs> I think quite like you, and yeah, I think I've always felt this way. Having the first three games as a kid at the same time is that this is a weird, crude indie movie version mm-hmm. of Mario. Almost, <laughs> yeah. um, it's fr- everything from like Mario's look and the and and his uh, the color of his clothes to like the the i'm thinking of the koopas in this game Mm -hmm. and how their faces seem so jagged to me because of the pixels um or even bowser that looks like something out of a horror movie just a different bowser than we know (laughs) today it was like before he had any personality yeah um i i still am very partial to the visuals i still like this old style um but it is it's just a little a little dated and a little uh, crude, like you said. Yeah. But I'm still I do like, like the overall it. change when you get the fire flower. That's nice. Me too. When your that's overalls cool. change, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this Bowser mm-hmm. and the Bowser from the N64, from Mario 64, to me, are the funniest Bowsers. Because it's <laughs> yes. like the beginning of those... Uh, consoles yes. and they were figuring it out like with this they're figuring okay what what is Bowser they ended up landing on something much more cartoony and yeah. fun I think with like the Super Mario world looking Bowser or even the Bowser in Super Mario Brothers 3 looks yes. way more like the Bowser we know and love <laughs> and then in the N64 they're like okay what would this look like in 3D and they just did not get it right like <laughs> to me the the Bowser in Super Mario 64 almost looks like a teenage Bowser that just got a bad haircut. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he's mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about <laughs> Bowser in that game where it's like his head is way too big for his body. It's like there's a there's some sort of proportions thing going wrong with him. Yeah. without 
without saying that this video game uh, started an entire franchise. I mean, I guess it didn't start here, but without the success of this game, there wouldn't be a franchise that we know today, which I would say is if it's not as big as something like a Mickey Mouse or a Bugs Bunny, it, it's getting every day very close to being that that size. And I would say it's probably as uh, a Mario is as recognizable as a I think, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's actually been said that, I mean, actually, like years ago, like in the Super Nintendo area, Mario was more widely recognized than Mickey Mouse mm. uh, by kids. You know, Mickey's gotten bigger since then, so who knows? But yeah, this game, uh, like you said, didn't start the Mario franchise, but it it set the tone for what it would be forever. Uh, not just the 2D games, but the 3D games have the same sort of spirit of, uh, of athleticism, of exploration, of goofiness that this one started. For sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no small thing that it started here in these like kind of like more humble means. Like I, yeah. I, you know, I, and then, in some, and then some part of me thinks, well, maybe it never would have, it had to start then because it had to ingrace, ingrain itself into the minds of children early on before you have what I would say is the, the situation now where you can't get a mascot going to save your life. Like it's just too hard. There's too much competition for mm-hmm. your, uh, for your attention. You know, back in the eighties, you know, it was sort of this golden age for animation and kids programming because there wasn't anything else going on. So anytime a new franchise would start, it, you know, Beastmaster or like He-Man <laughs> or whatever, it, it just became so popular, uh, because of, by virtue of it's the only thing marketed to kids or one of the very few things marketed to kids. Uh, So they got in early, you know, franchises like this, like Sonic the Hedgehog, they have the benefit of having come out, you know, early enough to capture everyone's imagination. Yeah, you're right. It's like hard to think of newer mascots that even come close to the scale that like those two would be. On. Yeah. Poor uh, Astrobot. He'll never truly. be close. <laughs> and he's pretty cool. And he's pretty uh, cool. You know, I don't yeah. know. Um, I definitely, I definitely, there is something I also appreciate about Mario and his legacy for just bringing the weird. Like he is yeah. just a weird guy. It's a weird idea. It belongs in this weird eighties and nineties idea that like fully grown adults were okay. Acceptable children mascots. <laughs> <laughs> like at least link is a kid or teen. We're, yeah. we're supposed to kind of believe, you know, yeah. um, uh, in those early games, but Mario is like a man. He's like in his forties, you know, he's yeah. like, <laughs> He's working his nine to five. Yeah, he's working his nine to five. And lives with his brother, apparently. Um, Hundreds Um, of games have come out donning the Mario uh, franchise uh, title. You know, I I think that it's it's grossed more than, you know, probably any other franchise ever. Uh, I think that also it remains to be one of the most exciting franchises 
to have a new game come out. I I, th- oh, yeah. I think that somehow, and this is very much, this does remind me of a Disney type principle where you just, you somehow make your franchises so immersed in pop culture, but then you do, you, you withhold from your public. So like the idea <laughs> of the Disney vault is that you can only buy a, a film for a, a select amount of time. And then you put it back in the Disney vault and you can't get it now. It's, it's, you can't find the, you know, yeah. the sleeping beauty VHS. You, you had to buy it in that, you know, like a month ago. Uh, yeah. Well, Mario is the same way. We're like, it's like once every five to six years, you get a new Mario game and it is treated with all the esteem of getting a new Star Wars movie or something like that, yeah. where it, it, they are very withholding. They, unlike a Sonic the Hedgehog that is willing to yearly put out just trash, uh, <laughs> you know, really destroying the legacy of the character. Yeah. And when, when you say these Mario games that every five or six years, of course, there's a bunch of other Mario games that get released. There's Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. There's Mario Kart. There's the, all the sports games, the, the, the 2d re-releases of like deluxe Mario maker. Right. We're referring to like the main big Mario releases, which are now, I think we would classify as generally the big 3d. Yeah. Like releases like odyssey as much as i think 3d world and maker 2 are so 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 special Mm -hmm. those games are kind of the big blockbuster releases right and they and the company of nintendo clearly delineates between we're getting you hyped for a Mario maker, which is a side piece to this is Mario Odyssey. You know what I mean? Like they, they make a clear uh, line in the sand, but I will even say about those re-releases at, at the point that we're coming uh, ever so close to a 3d world re-release for the Nintendo switch. My feeling is that they are going to treat that with all of the uh, care and uh, stoking the fire for yeah. that game and that they would a brand new 3d Mario, uh, which goes to show you. And that's just a prediction because I think people will get aboard the hype train for that because, yeah. but it just goes to show you that even the re-release of a 3d Mario game uh, can have such a shockwave impact <laughs> on true. the gaming world. Um, I mean, yeah in that same uh same conversation about the re- the the you know rumored and pro- i would say almost guaranteed re-release of super mario 3d world this year mm-hmm. for mario's 35th anniversary uh e- even thinking about like them potentially re-releasing 64 whether it's the same thing or remastered or whatever is would be an absolutely enormous yeah it would be it, it, just being able to play Mario 64 on my Nintendo Switch would count for me as the Mario of the generation yes. just because of how uh, fond fond I am of those games and how well they still play today. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I would say that as far as legacy goes, Mario to me, it, it's hard. It's easy to forget because Mario is so you take him for granted because he's everywhere and, and there's so much, you have so much access to Mario and all of his stuff, but he really is probably 
in the top three of my favorite franchises of all time. If I'm being fair to like how much yeah. time I've spent with his, mm-hmm. his games, uh, Connor, how about for you? Like where does Mario rank in your, of all times? You know, I thinking about like the more you're and you're asking about the Mario games as a franchise, as opposed to like the character. Yeah, 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 yeah. The franchise so, in general. I would say, you know, I was thinking about it, and I think a lot of the times I, I generally think that the Zelda franchise is my favorite, but when I think about the games I've spent the most time with and had the most fun with and gone back and back and back to play, I've done that with Zelda games, but I think it is Mario. It's it's Super Mario Bros. 3. It's Super Mario 64. It's Mario World now. It's... it's uh galaxy those games they truly are just like another level of uh at least have been for me a fun but like not only that but i can't quit them i keep coming right, back right um just this week for fun i pulled up super mario world and played through like level world three just because i could mm-hmm. uh it's hard to quit um yeah so as we're while we're talking about like the legacy of the franchise itself um can we let's discuss a little bit like if you don't mind the legacy of like it's wake Mm. and like where it came like what this has done for gaming which we've kind of discussed earlier but it's kind of uh amazing how much this first game established for games in general how it really turned gaming on its head and and how that still felt today in all sorts of games Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you, if you feel any particular way about that. Well, I think, okay. So for me, it, it really, uh, did it, it really defined the 2d platformer and by platformer, you pretty much defined it earlier. I would say with the one addendum of like, it, it literally is a, a is a thing you're controlling that is hopping from a platform to platform. Yeah. <laughs> it like, it completely established a baseline foundation that raised the the mark so high the bar so high that like other games would really struggle to even get there um you'd have to have uh if you look at other mascot platformers of the the era or or future eras, they were all like Mario with another hook, right? So it's like, this one's Mario, but you actually use your cane to pogo stick bounce on your enemies, and we're calling it (laughs) DuckTales 2, or DuckTales. This is Mario, but... um, you know, uh, if, you know, if you get, uh, enough, uh, power ups, you're able to, you know, fly, which would end up being in Mario, but is a part of games like little Samson and, um, and whatnot there, there, you know, just the different takes of the 2d platformer are really stemming from riffs on, on super Mario brothers. Uh, there's games like earlier than Mario that are definitely 2d platformers like Alex kid, I yeah. think is like an example of a, of, of Sega's idea of, of a 2d platformer. And what's missing from it is of course, like all of the life and, and, and the ease of control, you know, uh, that, that we know Mario, uh, we know from Mario. Uh, so yeah. I guess the earliest Alex kid game isn't even is actually, in 1986 anyway. 
Oh, okay. So <laughs> it's not even earlier than Mario. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really cool to think that, uh, we've had discussions before about how Super Mario 64 wasn't the first 3D platformer, but it modernized it and set the standard. Mm-hmm. It, and it's crazy to think that Mario did that too with the first Super Mario Brothers. Right, yeah. It's it's crazy. The The last thing, I guess, Jeremy, that I really want to say, uh, that I a point that I wanted to bring up uh, that I've kind of been talking about all show, is that how much this first game established for the Mario franchise itself. Mm -hmm. Um, It it did so much. And I kind of just started making a list. And if you don't mind, I just want to go down that list real quick. So it it, it established Mario specific controls. Like we were talking about earlier from the subtleties to it, to the, just the things that we're very used to Um, the bosses at the end of each world, which is just a new Bowser. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bowser upgrading each battle, Mm -hmm. whether it be, they're him throwing hammers at you right. or breathing fire. Yeah, his move set um, uh, heightens. Yes. Uh, it, the glitches, the secrets, water, sky, underground yeah. levels. Oh, water uh, power- mechanics is a great thing to bring swimming. up. Just like how swimming works in games works a lot like how it works in Mario. <laughs> Yeah, like you press you press A to keep swimming higher, otherwise you sink. Right. It's almost like every A button press is your arms moving. Yeah. So you have to do it faster to get higher. <laughs> yes. Um it the the power-ups, which of course, like we said, were only three, the mushroom, the fire flower, and starman. And of course, if you get hit with a with a when you have a power up except Starman, you go down to Little Mario again. Um, the fortress levels, and then uh, one thing that I found interesting was that this game was also like many future Mario games made in tandem with a Zelda game, which the, with the first one. And there were actually unused assets from the first Zelda, like the mm-hmm. you know in the in the in the fortresses in Super Mario Bros. One. There's like the spinning fire mm-hmm. like arms. Yeah, that is an unused asset from Zelda. Oh, so it's it's just like crazy to me how many of these things were in this first game that established this sort of mainstay that stayed through not only just like the actual components of the game, but like the development of it Mm -hmm. like that continues to happen, too. It's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, just like the yeah, the the structure of. Yeah, I mean, like, because they could have designed it any way they wanted. I mean, think about an alternate reality where uh, every level begins with a boss fight and then you play the level through. Like, there's no real reason why that wouldn't work. It's just true. It's just that this is the way that this is the way they chose to lay it out. It felt like it made the most logical sense. And now it's literally every game ever afterwards. It's true. Uh, And I think just to like sort of wrap up my thoughts is all those things that it established, I think revisiting it the other day and playing through the whole game made me, I don't think I've ever appreciated this game more. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one that is often underrated. It has been definitely surpassed by it's the ones that have followed it. Uh, I can even hear an argument for Mario two being better Mm -hmm, USA. mm -hmm. Um, but it's so it established so much and it did so much early on that it's just, so good and it holds up pretty well. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the only argument I would say that for Mario bros being 
as valid as the rest of the series is because it has such a specific set of gameplay mechanics. It really is its own thing with its own unique set of challenges. So it's like, yes, it's like being good at that is not the same thing as being good at Mario three, which I think it to be good at Mario three is the same thing as being good at Mario world. Like, yeah. like those skills transfer. Whereas Mario one, you it, it's, it, it's on its own. It plays by its own rules. So, I think you're yeah. correct. So I think sure. I think you could like speed running Mario Bros is its own type of uh, challenge. Uh, yeah. Speed running Mario Two is its own challenge. Uh, Mario mm-hmm. Three. There are three very kind of unique games that all pretend like they're the same part of the same franchise. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's really that's that's really interesting. And yeah, as far as legacy goes or thoughts, I I, I think that these this game is a completely valid it'll it is evergreen in the sense that because retro gaming is such a hot thing these days um the visuals only make it look more appealing to the rabid yeah. uh nostalgia zombies out there who just are want their childhood thrown up back in their face over and over again. I mean, us. (laughs) I think I own digitally like six copies of Super Mario Bros on different that live on different systems, whether it be Nintendo Switch Online, my NES Mini, uh, you know, uh, my 3DS, you know, virtual console stuff. Um, And so I, my my I would like to impart with you know people listening to go back and play Mario Bros if you've never had the pleasure of doing that or haven't done it in a while and try to do it on an original NES controller uh it really it, I'm it, while I am not the biggest stickler for like emulation versus playing something analog or original hardware I'm not the biggest stickler for that I do think it is different. Like playing this on a switch pro controller is just not the same vibe as playing it on a little square, uh, NES controller. There's something that will always be, you know, just in the same way that playing super Mario world on a switch pro controller, isn't the same as playing it on a SNES, a SNES gamepad. I think, I think playing it at least with the original controller layout is, uh, is an experience that's kind of unparalleled to anything else. Um, do you have any other, uh, thoughts about the game before we, uh, before we wrap it? No, I think I got to got to share those earlier. It's just I I'm so impressed at how much this game tried and how much uh, of its DNA that is still so present in games today that I love. So great. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of Super NPCs. Uh, this was an experience, and I'm excited to do more. I think that this <laughs> it went, was an experience. It was an experience. <laughs> I think it went. I think it went better than I expected. I, you know, I always get. I always get a. Uh, um, like uh, intimidated by having too much planning. (laughs) I'm, I'm such a wing it kind of person (laughs) that, uh, having an outline in front of me, uh, I, I was just like, well, I let's see how this goes. And it went great. I'm, I'm very happy with what we were able to accomplish here. And it did feel very much like the type of coverage we would do of a show. Yeah. Um, so why don't we go ahead and plug what we have to plug before we get out of here? Uh, we get yeah. Connor, you, if you want to start. 
Absolutely. Um, if you want to follow myself, I have another show, a part of uh, Super NPC Radio called Call Me By Your Game. I talked about it up top. It's a show where I interview a guest about a game that's very special to them. So check us out anywhere you get your shows. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Connor underscore McCabe. And then also I stream on Twitch sometimes. Uh, very inconsistent, but check me out there at Cons is Cool 69 yeah and uh you can follow me on twitter at ocarina of crime and uh you know if you're listening to this you likely already subscribe to our patreon but if you're listening to the free preview of the of the episode that is on some of our other shows main feeds then i would encourage you to uh subscribe at patreon.com slash super npcs uh or what is our url is it gonna be super npc radio i I think it should be super npc radio since that's the network okay let's do super npc patreon.com slash super npc radio for all of the bonus content that we are doing for all of the umbrella shows which includes which is a lot which is a lot it includes uh video games a comedy show call me by your game and inside video games and gaming with july diaz you can uh listen to bonus episodes for uh video games a comedy show call me by your game and along with this uh this weekly show and limited series uh that we have cooking up in the works which are abundant it's truly too much it's too much content (laughs) for what we're asking for which is uh, a donation at the ten dollar level uh so thank you so much for listening and hey we'll uh we'll see you on the next one 